Hello and welcome to the Spirit World Center. The following is the Spirit World Center podcast. If you have any questions about the spirits or training, you can visit our website at spiritworldcenter.com. And now, please enjoy the show. I wanted to issue a quick warning before this episode begins. The following interview is with a psychic detective, one who works almost exclusively with the spirits of children. We will be entering into the darker corners of this world, and this episode includes discussion of cases that involve murder, sexual abuse, trafficking, and other crimes, many of them involving children. If you feel that this will be too much for you, there is no shame in sitting this one out. Hello and welcome to the Spirit World Center. Today I'm joined by Kirsten Hathcock. Kirsten is an absolutely fascinating individual who's worked as a psychic detective and we're going to be talking about her story and about her experiences today and I'm really excited to delve into it. Uh, Kirsten, how are you today? I'm great, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. This is a, a joy to be on your show. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Kirsten, I suppose we should just jump into things. Uh, what is your story? What led you to becoming a psychic detective and, and awakening to mediumship at the age of 36? It's an interesting story. <laughs> um, so I know it's not the it's not the life path that most people would choose. And and honestly, I didn't choose it. Like most of us out there listening, right? If you have intuitive gifts that are heightened, uh, you most likely didn't choose that. So I was one of those people. Um, I was 36 when my gifts sort of showed up. However, um, I also have a few small memories of of kind of freaking my friends out when I was in elementary school at slumber parties and saying, you know, there's a man in the corner. And, and later on as an adult, uh, because I don't have a lot of memories of childhood, they were coming to me after I came out as a medium and said, you used to say this stuff all the time. And it used to scare us to death. So um, I believe I've had these gifts my entire life. Like we all have these gifts, but they didn't really dial up until I was 36. And that happened after I ended up going through some Reiki healing training and I was doing that, um, I was doing it kind of reluctantly, to be honest, because I am very scientific. I've always relied on empirical research and data. Um, I was born in Ohio. My parents are very grounded, you know, so it's, I did not come from a family that celebrated anything near woo-woo. And um, so I, that's, that's, that was my makeup. So I went into Reiki healing because I wanted to try and help our daughter, our, our daughter who's trans. Um, I wanted to help her with her anxiety. And what I started to notice was that, you know, yeah, it was helping a little bit, but to be honest, it was helping open me up in ways that I never thought possible, nor had I really asked for. <laughs> so I ended up starting to channel mostly children and those kids um, were kind of, you know, all over the place, uh, all over the world. They were children that were coming in that I, you know, maybe I knew their parents in high school. Um, maybe I had no connection to them at all. And so I was starting to notice as they were coming in that many of them had been uh, murdered, unfortunately, or they had um, unfortunately experienced some sort of uh, childhood sexual abuse in their background. So I started to notice that pattern. 
Um, I kept it quiet for a while, as you can imagine. And I decided, you know, I, it was after about a year and a half of these kids coming in and me sort of grappling with this and saying, you know, I, I don't know if I want to be vocal about this. I don't know if it's real. I don't know if it's the polyurethane I've been breathing in my garage because I'm a carpenter. <laughs> uh, I decided to go ahead and become vocal. And um, it was through that that I actually started to become connected to a bunch of different cops around the country. And uh, and it's been now, I'm 49, just turned 49, and I started channeling at 36. So it's been about, yeah, a little over 10 years. And I don't work as a traditional medium. I do not have, um, you know, like a shingle hanging outside. Uh, and I don't actually do this for monetary exchange at all. Um, I wrote a book called Little Voices, which is about my journey through that piece of it. And then also some extra stuff that had to do with uh, personal relationship and, and how the children actually helped me. Uh, and I wrote that because I wanted to get my story out there. And I think that it's really important for people who don't believe that there's something after this life uh, to understand that actually there's some there's some truth to that, you know. I was one of those people. I was a skeptic, so so that's that, it. that's the nutshell version. <laughs> that is a truly remarkable journey that you've been on, and so cycling back to the beginning there, mm -hmm. when Reiki mm -hmm. activated, let's say your mediumship yeah. abilities. How did that come through? So was it uh, during Reiki healings and such that you were starting to get uh, um, uh, to get messages or or how did that happen? So it was actually I, I would feel, you know, I would feel spirit in the room. I was not necessarily, you know, channeling per se like I do mm -hmm. now. Um, I actually was so focused on learning Reiki and, and doing it right and all of those things. And, you know, my focus was on our child and trying to help. And so it really happened when I wasn't doing any of that stuff. So I built a furniture company in Los Angeles out of our garage. I went on Shark Tank. I was able to grow it internationally, which now I know is all intuition-based, right? Uh, it was that gut feeling that I needed to do that. But when I was in the garage, that's when I started to notice. I would hear voices. I would see, um, you know, I'm starting to see nails move across the workbench, on their own. And we were not having an earthquake or anything like that. So I, I was starting to understand like, wait, why am I seeing something out of the corner of my eye? So it really wasn't even happening while I was doing Reiki. It was happening outside of those, those healing times. Very interesting. So mm -hmm. it kind of just, you know, activated you, but it's, it was coming through in different ways. Yes. Wow. And uh, so you mentioned that it was very much children coming mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. and uh and so where did that where did that lead like how did you um start as a psychic detective there like how did you reach out to law enforcement what happens oh there oh my gosh i was terrified you know first of all i didn't want to i was a cf you know ceo of a company uh, i did not want to hurt my standing in my business uh, i didn't you know th there was a lot of a lot of trepidation in the beginning but I just started to trust as I got more validation, I started to trust that I was doing the right thing and that I would be led to the right people. And that's exactly what happened with a particular case uh, that involved, unfortunately, multiple children who have been killed. Uh, and I, I started to, you know, really trust whoever was sort of being shown 
uh, you know, to me, whether that was as a, a vision or whether that was my, you know, friend saying, hey, I just met this particular person and they happen to be the sheriff of this, you know, uh, of this town. <laughs> so things like that would start to come together, you know, the synchronicity of it all. Um, I can say that the detective I work with the most, and we actually just founded a nonprofit that helps uh, families of crime victims. Um, it helps in, uh, families of missing and indigenous uh, women and children. And it's called the National Institute for Law and Justice. His name is uh, Mark Pucci, and he was NYPD detective for a very long time, decorated, um, just, you know, the kind of guy you want on your side. And he and I met because in 2013, I a friend of mine called me and said, can you please help on a missing persons case? Someone very close to me, uh, they cannot find her husband. So I said, sure, absolutely. I'll see what I can pick up. So um, at the same time, I was saying, well, is anyone else working on this? Or, you know, who's working on this? What's, what's happening? And, and she said, well, there's a detective who has volunteered as well. So the, enter Mark Pucci. So Mark and I uh, get on the phone together. And I know, I mean, the forward of the book, he actually wrote the forward to my memoir. Uh, you know, he was like, what is this woman who owns a furniture company doing talking to me, you know, this is, this is bizarre. Why is, you know, why is this happening? But he's also highly intuitive himself. So he was starting to trust, you know, that we were on that project and in, or that case rather um, for multiple reasons. So we start working together and, you know, he's a great cop. He knew what to do. He said, you know what, I'm going to go do all the boots on the ground investigation. I want to see what you channel. So I said, sure. So I channeled everything I could at the time we lived in Flagstaff, Arizona. So I channeled what I could from there. He was in New York. We um, we ended up actually meeting in person. By the time we both got done with all of that, I happened to be in New York on business. So we met at a diner and we sat down and uh, I mean, talk about like one of the most surreal moments of my life. We sit down and we're looking across from each other and we both had folders so we both opened up our folders and lo and behold, the information that I had channeled matched what he had gotten boots on the ground, which was not out in the public. And um, and I think that was at that point that it sort of solidified for him that, okay, there's something, there's something, you know, about this and about her, uh, even though she's not a professional medium. So that was 2013. It's been a long time. Like he's like family now. Um, we have worked on multiple cases together. And that first case, I can talk a little bit about how that came together, if you'd like, um, if the listeners yeah, are interested in that. So what I found was most interesting is that I was hearing from spirit, the things that he needed to know for his own safety. And then, you know, in, in a lot of these cases, right, we're working um, on cases that involve organized crime um, and involve really, really bad people. And so I'm starting to hear a specific ethnicity. I'm starting to see symbols and signs that I know are for him. And I had this overwhelming feeling this one day, and I had no idea that he was actually going to go out to the location that I also had channeled was a dumping ground. Um, so that morning, he's not calling me to tell me that. He's just going to go out there because he had his own gut feeling. And I call him on the way. And he, I said, hey, listen, I just have to tell you, I don't know what you're doing today, but I just, I have the strongest feeling that you are in danger. And I really wanted you to know these things. 
So I, I give him very specific information. So he said, thank you, you know, drives out to the location, gets out of the car, starts walking around. Sure enough, and, and this is sort of a desolate area, um, which, you know, pretty much everything that he had found, the markers matched the markers that I was getting from Spirit. So he's out of the car, he's walking around, out of nowhere comes a guy in a car. He rolls down the window, the guy does, and he says, what are you doing here? And he has the accent that I had channeled. And Mark immediately said, because of, um, because of these forewarned, you know, because I called him and said, I'm really scared for you. Your life is in danger. I'm scared for you. And you have to be on the lookout for this. He had the opportunity to get the jump on this guy before the guy got a jump on him because he said everything in his body language was suggesting that he was reaching down into the car, you know, as you would grab a gun, right? And he was about to exit the car. No one else was around. Uh, and uh, and he didn't because Mark was able to immediately show his badge and show his, or show his gun, and he got the jump on him. And uh, and you know from that point on, I you know I know he called me after after that, and he said, "I can't believe this." He's like, "I'm literally off to the side of the road. I'm just shaking because this is insane. What happened today?" And we both agreed at that point, you know, that the detail that we were getting on that side of the case, it needed to stop. He needed to stop because he was on the radar and, and they were going to be watching him. And so he did. And he moved on to other parts of the case that then helps, uh, that helped the missing man's wife tremendously. So it's really interesting how this works because I feel like I was sort of um, helping be through spirit, the guardian angel for Mark that day. You know, and just validating what he was already going to get, you know, as a really good police detective. But um, yeah, I'm just I'm super grateful, really grateful for that experience and being able to uh, know Mark and be there with him. I'm so glad that he was tipped off in that situation. Wow, that is incredible. And when you are channeling in these particular instances, right? Mm -hmm. Where do you feel those messages are coming from? Is it coming from the children? Is it coming from, let's say, a higher self or from mm -hmm. source? Uh, where, where do you feel it's coming from? Where are those tips coming from? So in this case, the tip was coming from the man who was deceased, who was missing. So we knew that he, was, he had passed on. Um, so in that case, it was straight from his mouth in spirit. Um, I do think it's sort of a, it's a collective sometimes of how I, you know, receive information. For the most part, though, I think they know that when they come to me, whether they're children or in that, this case, he was a grown adult, they, they know how to work with me and they know, you know, how to show me what they need, they need me to know. So that was, it was interesting. I don't know if they've been training me where I've been training them, <laughs> but somehow we managed to put this together and I'm able to get the, you know, information that's needed. So. Wow. Well, that is, uh, yeah, they've, they figured out how to interface with you, right? Yes. How to, how to get yes. the information to you in the best way. Yes. And so have you, like, did you continue working uh, on other cases with Mark or uh, yeah, how did that go? Yeah. So we have worked on multiple cases together and yeah, you know, a lot of times I'm either I'm giving information, like I was just actually helping him, gave him information on a case he's working on uh, down in Florida. 
And, you know, through our nonprofit, with the beauty of this is that we're actually just getting started with the nonprofit, but we're starting to raise funds so that we can actually take that burden off of the families whose uh, missing loved ones cases have gone cold because they then have to, you know, pull out of their pocket money to pay investigators. So we're trying to be the entity that that takes care of that. Well, this is one of those cases that Mark actually has been working on for a while, pro bono on his own. And uh, and so I was able to give him some information, I think, that helps, again, confirm what he already sort of knew. But, you know, it was coming through in the, in the right way. Um, there are cases that, you know, I hear from children quite a bit. And yeah, like I said, most of the kids, unfortunately, have died in a, a tragic way, which is heartbreaking. Um, and sometimes, you know, I will receive messages from kids who have who have been involved in school shootings, you know, and have crossed over that way. And um, sometimes I'm told to just hang on to the information and that their parents will be coming, you know, they'll come to me, which made no sense to me years ago because I wasn't planning on writing a book. I had no idea what was going to happen to me and the journey that I was on, you know, after um, like 2014 on. And yet here I ended up writing a book that got published and yeah. So, you know, it's making sense now because I still have quite a few messages uh, from, you know, children whose parents have not come yet. Some of them have, some of them haven't yet. So yeah, it's kind of a menagerie. Incredible. Wow. And, and obviously the details of cases and such, you can't get into um, for, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, were, were there any other situations though where you were given information that led to the case being cracked that led to that led to developments and such there have been and and i you know i'm sorry listeners <laughs> uh, but because some of these cases like i have to be so careful about what i say um some of these cases are are connected to much larger rings and so I, uh, I'm very protective of myself and my family. And, and so, yeah, I'm sorry. I wish I could give a lot more detail on that end, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's absolutely understandable. And, uh, so with your, your current nonprofit though, that is mm -hmm. a very interesting thing that you're doing. So these are cold cases, obviously. Um, how, how old are some of these cases? Like how many years have they been? Going on oh, wow. Um, some of the cases I've worked on even just before NILJ, because basically what we're doing is we're just solidifying it. It's a 501c3 now, but it's stuff that Mark and I have been doing for years, you know, and just doing pro bono work. Um, but the cases, one of the oldest cases I've worked on was from the 1970s. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's an interesting, it's interesting to see who comes through um, it's not just me channeling and then giving information. We actually mm -hmm. have a website people can go on. And if they have a missing loved one, they can, you know, fill out a case report. Um, we have Mark, who is an amazing NYPD detective. We just brought on two incredible detectives who just retired from the NYPD. Um, and uh, one is a crime scene investigative hero, basically, from mm -hmm. the NYPD. And um, yeah, it's just, it's pretty amazing who is, who's on board and who's being drawn to our organization. We're also partnering with quite a few indigenous um, nations and, you know, helping to do what we can to help in that respect as well um, with, you know, the lack of 
funding, the lack of resources, police manpower around the country is, you know, it's, it's so low, right? There's, there's just not enough people to go around for all of the cases and all of the people that are needing help. So, yeah. Well, it's absolutely incredible work that you're doing there. You know, a question that comes to mind is with so many mediums, right? We get messages mm-hmm. from the other side and sometimes they say, okay, can you please, let's say, reach out to the family. And yeah. that's, and yeah. it, it can be absolutely terrifying for a medium in that situation to then mm-hmm. reach out to a family and deliver a message, let's say. Mm-hmm. Even though in my experience, every time it happens, it, it's it's something that's spot on and that just needed to be heard, right? Yes. But yeah. it can be nerve-wracking to be that medium and and not know how it's going to be received. I suppose, you know, the question is, when you set out this path, you know, this is the nth level above simply bringing a message to loved ones. Right. And so what, what was the reaction by, by law enforcement and by people who you were reaching out to, you know, did you encounter any kind of pushback or was it largely positive? Obviously with Mark, you had very Mm -hmm. positive uh, relationship building there uh, in terms of what you were giving, but like, what was the general kind of sense that you, that you got there? Well, I think because I didn't go, I'm going to sound very Midwestern right now, willy nilly, you know, I didn't just go out and start blanketing and trying to get a message to somebody, anybody, any kind of law enforcement. I was very careful about that because, you know, this is not what I signed up to do, right? Clearly it's, this is in my life path and I am supposed to be doing this, but you know, I was a furniture CEO. We lived in Los Angeles. I was raising kids. (laughs) This was sort of happening on the side. So I, I think honestly, because whether or not they were actually referred to me, you know, quietly or um, everything led to I need to reach out to, to this specific person, I really didn't get a lot of pushback. I did find myself, especially in the beginning, and it's different now because Mark, you know, has created such an amazing foundation of trust, right, for other people for me. Um, and even writing the forward for the book and just, you know, he says I helped save his life, which, you know, I'm so honored to be that person to have received that message. I don't think that I'm anything special. I think that I just happen to be, this is probably what I chose, right? My soul contract and I'm going along with it. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've actually been very, very lucky that I haven't had a lot of pushback. Um, the hardest one, to be honest with you, was not even a case that involved the cops. It was uh, when I was first starting to channel and in the book, uh, you'll read about a boy named Nate and he was 13 years old and he died of an AVM, which is a brain bleed. And I didn't understand that when I was reading like Facebook, even I would start to channel, like I was starting to recognize, you know, how that works for me. So one day I come out of the garage and I'm covered in salt dust and I sit down at my desk and I'm trying, you know, just like, I need something mindless while I eat a sandwich. So I'm looking through Facebook and I see a memorial post. And this was years after Nate had passed, but his parents had posted something about a memorial. And I was immediately hit head to toe chills. I started to hear his voice. I, and then I saw him sort of next to me. And then in my mind's eye, and I kept thinking, 
this is not real. I know this is not real. And so he was one of the first that I really dared to reach out to someone that I didn't know very well. But it turns out, so his parents I went to high school with, I don't know them, you know, didn't know them very well. I do now, but I didn't know them well at all at the time. And I thought, oh my God, he's asking me to share messages with his family and I'm going to have to do this. And my parents still live in Defiance, Ohio, small town. This is where Nate's parents lived. Um, I was worried about, you know, causing them more harm. I did not want to cause any of that. I was worried about my parents and like, how would this reflect on them? Um, I was worried that it was crazy and none of it was real. And so uh, I took the messages. I did have enough foresight to write them down. And I said, okay, let me think about this. And so I tucked them away for a couple of days. And then one day I'm in the garage and I'm again, I'm working on kids furniture, right? So you see a tie with a lot of this because my furniture company is a kid's furniture company, right? So I'm working on kids furniture and I just get this overwhelming knowing, like, you know, where you just know, like, yep, it's time. It's okay. It's going to be okay. That's really kind of what I got, that feeling. So I went inside and I pulled the notes out and I wrote to his mom. And I had to do a lot of explaining, you know, like, I don't know if you remember me and my dad was a football coach and, you know, da, 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 da. And um, I promise you, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to get anything out of this. I am not even a medium that, you know, I don't do this for a living. This is just something I'm starting to notice is happening. And, and I believe he has these messages. So, so we ended up talking on the phone and um, thank God it was a great conversation and she said that a lot of what I was sharing from Nate was, you know, stuff nobody could have possibly known. It's, you know, how it is, right? It's all the, all the stuff we know. So that was such a relief. But honestly, that was literally one of the hardest things I think I've ever had to do was reach out to them, even more so than the casework. Because the casework, as much as I want to help get justice and I want to help find answers and solutions and whatnot, and my heart breaks for the families and the kids it's still, you know, kind of separate from me. Well, it sounds like you've absolutely been put in the right situations, right? To yeah. to bring you to where you need to be, right? Yeah. Um, wow. It's amazing how we can be guided in this way. Now, I need to definitely ask about... Okay the motivations of the dead here because okay. you know obviously there's a lot of mediums out there right mm -hmm. oh, and yeah. and obviously people tend to get a very big uh swath of all of humanity mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and so you know a lot of mediums they might go their entire career without ever running into anyone who met a um who was murdered or who otherwise right. met a a very uh an end of that type uh -huh. and and so a lot of mediums of course they uh you know it's more like delivering messages from grandma on this type right, of thing right, right. Yeah. and and so i imagine that if your life is cut short that is going to perhaps have a effect on your motivations from the next life. Like, do you find, and so do you oh, find wow, yeah. that the spirits that are coming through who have met tragic fates like this, mm -hmm. do they tend to be preoccupied with kind of a conception of justice or um, is it more helping the living and and more moving on from that? Or what, what do you find? Well, I have found, um, that's such a great question. First of all, thank you. I have done so many interviews and this is a joy to talk to you because you get it, right? <laughs> so uh, thank you for that question. That was pretty awesome. 
So I have found in my journey, um, I also help spirit cross into the light, right? So that if they haven't, so, um, and that I had to Google, I figured that out by Googling and watching the ghost whisperer. Like that is how, (laughs) how not a traditional psychic medium I am. But I started to notice that they would come to me. I've had chills at my right side when they came in, they had not crossed into the light yet. If I have chills on my left side, they have already crossed. So uh, for me, I noticed that that, I noticed that. I also noticed that if they hadn't crossed yet, they were more, um, you know, they're more rooted, right? And they're human selves because they can't see everything like they can see on the other side. They don't get the life review. You know, they don't, they don't know that yet. So in that case, um, a lot of the kids that I've helped cross into the light, either they were confused about what had just happened, if it was a tragic death, or uh, they committed suicide and they, and they were scared because they thought they were going to go to hell, right? So though, that's the type of communication I would have with them and then and try and help them cross. And then for the folks who are already on the other side, I do not get that at all. Um, I did the sense of justice. Yes. I mean, you know, I think on a, on a greater good, um, absolutely. But so many of the messages that I pass are still about comforting their families and love. It's just all about love, you know, aside from, I need, you know, here's a location, here's where you're going to find evidence, that type of thing. Um, but when I'm talking with the families, it's about their comfort and understanding that their loved ones are still around them. That's really fits a lot of, a lot of experiences that I've had, but also like what I would have assumed to mm-hmm. be the case. Yeah. that mm-hmm. They're not coming back as, as revenants hell bent on, mm-hmm. on no. destruction of those who wronged them. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's more about, healing for them and their loved ones and then helping people move on. Right. Yeah. And I've even, I I shocked somebody the other day because we were talking about, you know, the perpetrators, right. And some of those guys have passed on and one particular one in a case that it does involve multiple children and in multiple States, uh, he came through to me and he gave me information that helps the case, you know? And so it's really interesting to see, from my perspective here, how that works. You know, I could be completely full of bull um, (laughs) when I get over to the other side and I'm completely wrong. But from what I could tell, you know, this was part of what he was doing to, you know, learn self-love. You know, there's a lot that he, he didn't obviously didn't love himself, right? And he didn't have that component. Therefore he went on to then abuse and hurt others. And so I think, you know, atonement in a way, but also probably uh, just kind of making up for what, yeah, making up for what he did to himself that's, as well. Yeah, that, that, that's fascinating. So so an actual perpetrator came through and basically interesting. And um, so in that case, you did get the feeling that he's basically like almost trying to make amends to a degree. Yeah, or... yeah, exactly. Um, but I yeah. also think, you know, the making of amends, like, if, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book, too, is really just mm-hmm. to shine a light on all of the systemic generational abuse. Right. Right. So uh, many of these folks who are doing this type of thing, this was generations back. And Absolutely. he was also a victim. And, um, you know, not that that condones anything that he had done in his life, but, 
yeah, I just think that, yeah, he was making amends. And I think he was also, you know, working on loving himself through all of this and looking at, you know, where he could have definitely done better in that life, you know, and had more love for self and for others. Absolutely. Wow. That is a very interesting experience to have there for sure. Yeah. I was scared. I'll be honest with you at first because when I saw, I knew what he looked like. So I, I felt him and saw him come in and I was like, "Mm -mm." but I had already set it up with my guides. I had to set that up very early on after I was completely overwhelmed and getting everything in and everyone coming at me. So I said to my guides, only those that are for my highest good are allowed in. And so I just trust that. And so when he walked in, I did have that knee-jerk reaction of, ah, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But at the same time, knew there was purpose in it and they let him through, you know. I imagine that in this line of work, there can be very some very negative things out there, yeah. uh, especially... I mean, if we get into things like attachments and such mm-hmm. that can lead people to do very bad things, um, have you encountered in this work, have you encountered anything that was spiritually nasty of that type of sort? Yes, I have. Um, I have encountered that. And I don't think you can work on the types of cases that I work on and not encounter that. And, you know, the thank God I have enough um, faith in my own self, you know, and I and I was taught all the right things, whether it was through Google or through someone else, you know, a fellow medium. Uh, and so I know that I have the power and that I am safe. I will also say that I did run into, in human form, basically someone who is a predator. And I fell down the rabbit hole with him. Uh, my husband and I split up in 2014, uh, shortly after I recognized that I had been a sexual abuse survivor and had no clue what I was dealing with on the subconscious side, right? I thought I had it all together. I thought I was making all the right choices. Uh, and anyways, I end up falling for, unbeknownst to me, a sociopathic predator. And that was interesting because not only did I, you know, through three years of being with him and then finally escaping um, that, which is that piece is in the book. And I talk about that a lot because, you know, the empath nar- narcissist connection um, that unfortunately a lot of us who are highly intuitive deal with, right? That's exactly what happened to me. So um, anyhow, through that and, and finally climbing out of that, there were moments while I was with him that I could see the dark energy. I could see the absolute darkness um, I was being laughed at uh, a few times because, you know, he was in, in some ways, I think, a puppet uh, for the dark, the darker side. And, you know, I, I again, it took a long time for me to understand three years. You know, I wanted to believe he was who he said he was in the beginning. Um, but then it, it came very full circle for me because here I was a medium working on cases that involve predators. I then too recognize I am a child abuse survivor. And then I fall in love with one. And I, you know, talk about shame, right? I was just, I mean, on the floor. Like, how did I not see this? How could I? But I think, you know, this was what I was supposed to do. I, I could not have, even the kids have said, you know, this, you could not have avoided him. This was something you had to go through. This was written before your birth. 
and uh, and I'm I'm glad I had the experience for that reason, for many reasons, but also to be able to share that piece of it. Absolutely, it's uh, and of course, it sounds like you had support from the spirits throughout that experience mm-hmm. though right so it's I like did. you were you were helping out these kids in your in your mediumship and and they in turn they were helping you out what kind of like hints and cues and and how are they coming through during this time how did they help you through it eric it was so weird because it was in the very beginning, like the first four months, you're in the honeymoon period, right? It's where they're love bombing you, if anybody's out there listening and has been through this, right? So they're love bombing you. You're pretty much being groomed to believe, uh, you know, whatever it is that they're presenting. And so I wasn't hearing anything at that point. And um, they weren't coming, you know, they were still coming in. I was still working on cases, but I was working on cases that was separate. There were multiple kids that you'll read about in the book, Jason, Nate, Carrie, um, Amelia, there are multiple kids that have always, like, once they came to me, they were sort of around me all the time. I know they're my gang, you know, they're my peeps. Uh, I just had no idea that they were actually going to help me understand and then survive and heal. And about four months in, five months in, actually, one of the kids who actually ended up, he, he was a little bit older, he was 23, I think, when he died. So he wasn't necessarily a kid, but he died of a drug overdose and he also had an, a, a relationship that was probably similar to what I had been dealing with, with Tony. And he started to give me clues. He would say, he's your drug. You, do you get that? Do you see that? He's a drug. And so he was even making parallels to his own life so that I could quite, you know, understand in the very beginning, they were saying, this isn't what it seems. It was very vague. Because I think they knew, you know, I had to, I had to travel this road. Um, at the end, it was get a restraining order now. Um, all you're going to have to do is call this one particular cop and have her call him, and he knows it's from you already. And da, 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 you know, like it's going to be, you know, he. They were very, very, very specific. Um, at the end, they were coming in saying, like, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, Kirsten. This is not okay, and you know it. Free will, right? They they yeah. couldn't come in heavy handed at the beginning and say, no, no, you can't do this. Because... No. And, and anytime I would question, and it's even in the middle of it, they would just say, well, you know, you know, you know the answer, like, but you need to tell me the answer because I was so turned around. Uh, but I mean, I got talk about angels, right? Here I was thinking I was helping them and then they turned around and helped me. And that's the beauty of those little voices, you know, and uh I'm forever grateful to them, to their families. I wouldn't be here without them. That's that's absolutely amazing. Wow, I'm glad that they were they were able to help you out through that, and uh, I'm sure they were very happy to help you out as well. Wow. They were. I will say, you know, some of the other kids, like I noticed during that time period, that I wasn't being surrounded by as many. You know, it mm-hmm. was in that's the way it should have gone, right? With that level of darkness around me, they were not going to be coming in. They were sort of flanking me. And so when I finally got out of it, one little boy, I was getting ready for work one day and a little boy ran. I saw him run across the living room and I said, oh, hi, sweetie. Um, Hi, I'm Kirsten. You know, can I, can I help you at all? Like, is there anything I can do? And, and he said, no, we've just been waiting for you. 
And that was really his message is that they had been waiting for me and they had, and I have chills right now just saying that. So, yeah. Wow. And you know, it's, it's, it's really amazing how you've basically specialized in working with kids. And I can, I can clearly see something like that evolving when they, you know, reach out and it becomes known that you're a safe place to, for them to go. Um, and we were kind of touching on it a bit in mm -hmm. the, uh, in the pre-interview, uh, but um, I don't think we've kind of gone into it in this okay. interview. And that is, you know, why do you feel that these kids are reaching out to you? It's because I suppose that they can see a similar background in you, right? I think that that is definitely one massive piece, you know, and again, I repressed memories of sexual abuse until I was 40. So I had no idea that I was a childhood sexual abuse survivor, that I was in their club. But the other side of it is I do think that there were many lifetimes prior where I have been either killed or I have maybe even been a perpetrator. I'm not sure, but there's a theme to this. Um, and when I became like the first time I actually went to see a psychic and I didn't believe in any of it, I thought it was all bull. It was my birthday, 9909, and I was turning 36, which is a nine, right? So, I mean, if numerology isn't telling me that there's something to, <laughs> to this lifetime, I feel like, um, I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like I'm closing a chapter on a lot of things that have probably been with me through multiple soul lives. And one other thing that we touched on in the pre-interview is that connection between trauma and opening up that intuition. I'm yes. curious if you'd like to, to speak on that point and, and what you've seen in regards to that. Thank you. Thank you for asking that. Um, yeah. So I think it's really interesting. Uh, you know, I, I haven't done any research, although I'd like to, because I do like to do that type of thing. Uh, but I do think that there seems to be a link between trauma and heightened intuition. And in my case specifically, I was raped by my uncle. Uh, it started when I was three, but I was full on raped when I was five. And I know that I left my body. I know that I easily disassociate because of that trauma. Um, and that is one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I, I had to heal little Kirsten, right? When I was in that abusive relationship, I had to stand up to the abuse that I couldn't stand up to as a kid in order to help heal her. Um, and so I think that that piece, you know, just the, just the trauma that I endured, I think also made me a little bit more heightened because of the disassociation. But I, you know, that that's really what has stood out to me. I do know quite a few folks who are uh, who are highly intuitive, who are trauma survivors. And, you know, I personally would like to do a little more research on that and figure out what that connection is. If I'm right about my yeah. assumption, you know, <laughs> there definitely is. And uh, what from what I've seen as well, yeah. there is definitely a connection. And, uh, you know, obviously someone can be intuitive without having right, experienced right. that, but at the same time, there definitely is a connection for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, well, Kirsten, we're coming up on time here and I, but I, I have absolutely found this, this conversation fascinating. And, uh, so I'm curious, do you have any kind of words of wisdom or anything that you'd like to share with the audience before we log off here? So, you know, one of the things that I have, that's been coming to me a lot lately, 
you know, I, I did, like I said, I didn't have any interest in this, right? I had no interest in it. It just sort of landed on me. Um, I learned to use the pendulum. I learned to use tarot cards. Um, I, you know, started recently actually kind of going into more mediumship training and trying to, you know, just expand. I think it's time. I, I definitely want to kind of focus on my own development. But what I'm noticing is everybody has so many freaking rules. Like this has to be this way where it's not right. Well, who says it has to be that? You know, I think that everybody, I think we all just need to remember if you're in this space that we all have different gifts and they all show up in different ways. And, you know, if I'm going to use, if I just sit and I use a pendulum and it actually just keeps swinging, you know, it's, it's very similar to scribbling on a piece of paper, right? Um, I just think that people get hung up on that. And I think there's a lot of ego involved. And I, I don't like that because I think it discourages people and makes people feel bad. So however you're receiving your gift, you know, your intuition and you're using it is how you're supposed to do it. So that's, yeah, anyways, I'll get off my soapbox now, but that's definitely something I wanted to mention. Uh, I love room it. enough for all of us, right? I mean, I don't know, yeah. if Eric, if you've felt the same way, but. Well, it just seems it's kind of the opposite of intuition. If we have these rules that we have to follow, it's like, you know, the one thing I've realized, everyone has their own unique spiritual nervous system. There's different yeah. ways that all these things come through. Like you were talking even earlier about how you get chills on the left side of your yeah. body when they haven't passed over and on the right when they have, right? And, and it's like, yeah, everyone's nervous system when it comes to these spiritual things is different. And so you got to learn your own intuition, learn how it comes through for you right so, exactly exactly yeah. and don't feel bad if somebody tries to shame you and they say you know well that's not right and it should be this way it's whatever way works best for you that's yeah that's my advice <laughs> fantastic kirsten thank you so much and oh where can people find you where can they find your book and what are your social medias and all okay that? sure sure so you can find little voices anywhere the books are sold and there's an audio book which i read I narrated, which was really also an interesting experience. So check that out. I even have a podcast where we talked with a sound engineer because so many crazy things happened during that recording that I think it kind of changed his perspective. You know, he's he walks around saying things like, um, I feel this intuitively now, you know, <laughs> and he was not that guy before. Um, but anyway, so Little Voices, anywhere you can find books and audiobooks, and then Kirsten Hathcock, K-I-E-R-S-T-E-N-H-A-T-H-C-O-C-K.com is my website. You can find all kinds of information there and resources and just a lot of good, you know, trusted specialists that I know as well. Fantastic. And we'll have that information down in the show notes below. Kirsten, thank you so much. This has been a, uh, a very fascinating conversation. I've never talked with a uh, with a psychic detective before, and it was it was wonderful getting your insights on things. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs>